We are right now in this short little four-week series called All Life Long, and uh, it's, uh, we're talking about marriage and the importance of marriage and, and the four problem areas that, that kind of are part of it. Last week, we talked about communication, the importance of communication. There are uh, three pieces that we talked about, one being truthful, integrity, one being intentional, and the other being inspiration, right? Words of affirmation, words of encouragement. And I gave you an assignment, even if you're not married, the end of the time, to find somebody in your life and speak words of affirmation to them. Did you do that? Yes, yes good. Thank you. How did it go? Did it go okay? Right? What I think that uh, you'll find is that when you speak words of affirmation, you speak words of, of life into people, they are going to respond pretty well to that. So today, <coughs> we're going to deal with money, finances. This is a huge piece, something I'm very passionate about. So hopefully last week, you saw on social media, we rolled out a lot of resources through the week that we've found to be helpful uh, uh, to help you with communication. The best resource that I have, the best resource that I think is out there actually, to help on the finances is called Financial Peace University. Are you familiar with that? Dave Ramsey, if you ever listen to the radio, he's on there all the time. But we've been doing this for years, but he has, he has put it together in a nine-week course called Financial Peace University. It costs $130. That gets you in the class. It gets you the materials. It also gives you access to their budgeting tool, which is a great budgeting tool. My mom's on that budgeting tool called uh, Every Dollar. Uh, it syncs to your bank and all of that, all for $130. So here's what we're doing today. Because we want to resource you, if you will sign up for the class today, and if you are one of the first 13 people who sign up after the sermon, if you go before the sermon is done, it's double the price, by the way. That's, but we will, uh, we'll, we'll take $95 off, so 130 bucks only costs you 35 uh, we want you to be a part. We think it's a great tool, uh, something that will help you for the rest of your life, and so really want to encourage you. Like I said, I'm, I'm really passionate about this because they tell us statistically that the number one reason the people get divorced over money issues, money fights, money pressures, disagreeing on how to spend money. So to me, this is, if we're going to talk about marriage, we've got to talk about this money component. And for me, it's, it's bigger than money. It, there's, a, there's a bigger picture here. And I want to start, so I really want to deal with this first. We'll get into some, hopefully, some real practical things by the end. But I really want to start with a philosophic argument. And I didn't make the argument, the, the Prophet Amos, remember him? He's the one who made the argument, and it's in a question. And his question is this, do two people walk hand in hand if they aren't going 
to the same place? Of course, the implied answer is no, right? To walk hand in hand with someone, you have to be going to the same place. You have to be going to the same destination. When we talk about marriage and God's ideal for marriage, it is this idea of oneness. They, they, the two became one, right? One flesh. They were naked and not ashamed, Right, So they're fully known, fully revealed, and yet fully loved. That sense of oneness, there has to be the same direction. And what I would argue with you is that one of the chief issues in marriage is really a bigger question than money, but money's a huge piece of it because it's fun. But the point is, they do not have a shared vision of where they're going. They've never taken the time to work out of what do we want life to look like? When we get to the end and we look back, what do we want our legacy to be? What is the thing that we want to leave when we get 50 years down the line, when we hit retirement? What do we want life to look like? There is no shared vision. And I would argue with you that one of the most important things that you can do in a marriage is coming up with this shared vision. What do we believe God's called us to? What do we want our lives to look like? What is our legacy? What do we want to do when we retire? Why? Because the vision gives you a goal, something to move towards. What I find is that way too many couples are just kind of meandering through life. They're not moving towards anything. They're just doing life. They're just getting by. You know, you think especially of when the, you know, the kids are small, you're just trying to survive life, right? But if you have two boats side by side heading in this direction, if one is just five degrees off, they will not end up at the same place. You won't see it for miles. But by time they get down the road a long ways, they're way far apart. That's what happens. I think that's why it happens so often with couples break up after the kids are out of the home, right? There was no shared vision of what could be. And your vision gives you a goal, something that moves towards. And then once you get a goal, you can now get a plan, right? What are the next steps? So you kind of reverse engineer it. If that's where we want to be in 50 years, then what are the processes that we need to be putting in place now, right? So in 2022, what do we need to be doing to make that happen? And then what of, if we're going to do this in 2022, what needs to happen in January? And not only in January, but what needs to happen this week, right? It's a, it's a plan, it's discernment. And the plan brings accountability. Because now there's a, you know, so often I think people get to the end of their life, they, they've not saved anything for retirement, right? And, and, and then they're surprised, right? Retirement comes. It's just like every year, you know, people get to Christmas and it's like, ah, Christmas is an emergency. No, it comes 25th of December every year. But there's been no plan. Now, here's the beautiful thing today. If you're here and you're single, 
Your shared vision, the only person you got to talk into it is you. <laughs> the bad side of it is, you're also the only one to hold you accountable. Right? So those days when you're discouraged and those days when, when you don't want to make, you don't have anybody there pushing you. Right? So it's kind of a good and a bad. But for those of you that are married, the power of a shared vision of where do we want to be? What do we want life to look like? What do we want to accomplish? What it really does is it brings unity. It puts you on the same page. Maybe I could pull it out of the context of marriage and let me put it in a different context and maybe you'll see it even a little clearer. One of the things that I'm, I'm excited about and I'm blessed and I'm thankful for the Lord, but I, I hear it often when people come and they visit our church and they'll come to pizza with the pastor or I'll talk to them on Saturday because I typically call visitors on Saturday. So if you, get, you give your phone number for the Dutch Bros card, you'll get a call. You don't have to pick up, but you'll get a call. But what I often hear is there's unity in your church. People love each other. And I would argue the reason that there's unity is that we talk a lot about mission. We talk a lot about vision. We talk a lot about the reality that one day we're all going to stand before Jesus, right? And we all want to hear well done. So with that as the goal, if that is the vision, then what do we need to do today? We need to live on mission. We need to be reaching to people in our lives. We need to be connecting with others, right? And, and, and so as a church, our big thing is we're, we're called to make disciples. And so we got 180,000 people within five miles of our church. That's why we're, doing a, we're, we're building buildings, right, to be able to reach them better. It's why we want to go plant churches, why we planted Salt Church a year ago. In fact, yeah, a year ago. And in that vision, there comes unity. So as many of you know, I get to serve as, uh, give some leadership to our association of churches. We got about 75 to 80 churches here in the Southwest. And often I get called in when they have problems. And so often the problem is there's no unity. And I can guarantee you 100% of the time, when I start talking to a church where, man, they're going different with the problem is there's no vision they've lost it they got some people who want to go this way they want some people who want to do it this way they want some people to do it this way they got other people quite honestly want to go back and do it like they did 20 years ago right which a whole nother discussion I don't want to go there but there's no shared vision and yet that's what happens in so many couples relationships so let me in transparency share with you how this plays for Tammy and I. You know, Tammy and I, I would say she might like five minutes for a rebuttal, but I would say we've had an incredible marriage, 32 years. Uh, obviously, like every marriage, we've had those moments of intense fellowship. But I would tell you, and I know she would agree with this, if you look at those moments of intense fellowship over the years, almost every single time it was about money. Why? And, and the funny thing is, neither one of us are, are big spenders, right? So it's not like one's a real big spender and one's just a real big saver. It's just, it's different priorities. 
Like, so if I were to set the budget, and I've shared this with you before, and if you show up, you probably know this about me, I would like have no money in a clothing budget. I mean, seriously, seriously. How often does a shirt wear out, right? These things will go for years. You take care of them well, right? You get a hole, you throw it away, right? I, I don't get the whole, well, it's not the right season or it's not the right style. It's just, it doesn't have holes. It's good. You buy a pack of underwear down at Costco, that thing will go for years, right? It's just, why do you need money for clothes? My wife sees it a little differently. So years ago, I mean, you know, and we, obviously we've had this discussion before, but probably 15 or so years ago, uh, Jamie was in college. Uh, we, had, um, we had his college set, taken care of, but then we had his brother and his sister coming in. And, and by the grace of God, oh my goodness, by the grace of God, we never had him two in college at the same time. For those of you poor people, I'm so sorry, right? But we had the next two coming, so we had eight years, more years of college, in fact, uh, staring at us, and, and we just began, and then the, the thing was, right, I'm, I'm in my mid-40s, and the question, you know, the reality is someday, and I hope no time soon, but the reality is there's some time that's going to come when Desert Springs is going to need younger leadership than me. And so it was, the question was, what, what do we want that to look like? And we begin to talk about this shared vision. And one of the things that was on our heart, and I want to be really cautious here, because I, I don't, this is not a right or a wrong, I really don't think this is incumbent upon parents to do this. But as we're having that conversation, one of the things that we both felt strongly about was we wanted to be able to get our kids through four years of college with a degree and come out the other side, no debt, which meant we're going to have to fund a lot of it, not all of it. We're, again, I don't think parents have to do that. So as a high schooler, don't go down and tell your parents, hey, what? no, no, this was a personal thing. This was our dream, not your parents' dream. But we got a shared vision. We got a shared vision of some time when uh, down the road, when uh, it's time for, for us to do something different where we love the church. And again, no, please don't take this personally. I have no desire to go out and play golf every day. That just doesn't do anything for me. If it does something for you, great. It's not me. For Tammy and I both, we grew up in church. We love the church. God has given us the opportunity to minister to churches. And we thought, well, what if we were in a place where, where we could go help churches that are in trouble? And whether they were big or small, it wouldn't matter. It's just if we felt God was to do it, we could go and do it without cost. So we got this vision. Now, let me tell you what happens. So for eight years, part of that vision was we had to fund get the kids to college. So when we got to the question of the size of the, uh, of the uh, clothing bill, right? How much, where I, I tend to like put things in savings, how much went in savings? You, you see, we had a shared vision now, right? We we're able to work that stuff out. And then for us, once we got the kids through school, eight years of school, the next thing for us was to go tackle the debt on the house, right? There's a plan. I want to go back to Amos's question. How do two people walk hand in hand 
if they aren't going to the same place. See, that is the power of shared vision. And to be honest with you, I wish I could just stop the service now and send some of you home because honestly, from here on out, I'm going to be past some of you because some of you haven't had this discussion. You haven't had, and, and by the way, this is not something you pick up Taco Bell on the way home and you just do over lunch and, oh, good, we checked that box. No, 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 no. This is because it's a shared vision, right? Because you may have this vision, she may have this vision, where can we find the shared vision of how we're going to do life together? But I'll tell you, it's almost a secret sauce. You find that, it'll bring unity into your home. And once you find that now, now you can begin to play the biblical principles out really easily. So let me start today with just giving you the biblical perspective of money, because I think you Again, you just, you've got to understand this. This is kind of that next stone you've got to understand to know how to handle money. It's our text. So if you haven't turned there, we are in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, which is kind of interesting. So when you think about when this is written, when Jesus speaks this, he's actually, it's during the week of Passover. So he's going to the cross. And he takes time to tell this story, this parable. So obviously, this is something pretty important. And you might even sense that he's given them a little foretaste of what's going to happen. So he says this in verse 14. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. Hmm, interesting, right? Where is Jesus going? Who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to their own ability. And he went on his journey. Immediately the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. In the same way, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Oh, by the way, might we be living right now between verses 14 and verses 19? The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents. Say, Master, you entrusted the five talents to me. See, I've gained five more. The master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And also the one who had received two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. The master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter the joy of your master. And the one who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I do not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. <laughs> then you ought to at least put my money in the bank. And on my arrival, I would receive my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. 
What he's introducing here is this idea of stewardship. It's a word we don't use often, but it's an important word. It's this idea that all that we have, we ought to use to honor the Lord, to be a good steward, to manage what God has given us. And by the way, when we talk about talents, I don't think we're just talking money. I think we're talking time. I think we're talking stuff. I think we're talking uh, abilities. I, I do think we are talking income and money. But we ought to handle it as a good steward. And there's three points here that you just Again, briefly give you. One is this. Everything belongs to God. That's at the heart of this. That it all belongs to him. Psalm 24 puts it like this. The earth is the Lord's and all that it contains. So everything that I have, my, my 403, right? My house, my car, it doesn't really belong to me. It belongs to the Lord. My time. No, it really is the Lord's time. Everything I have belongs to him. And I tell you, that's, a, that's a, an important way to begin to understand things. In fact, one of the things we've done as a family to reiterate that is when we've had especially big purchases, we buy a house or we bought a car, we actually have a dedication. Not to tell God, but to remind us, this belongs to the Lord. It's his. Everything belongs to the Lord. Secondly, what I then have, I have been entrusted with to be a good steward, to manage wisely. And by the way, did you notice that this manage wisely, he doesn't have to. The third guy didn't. He was lazy. God's not looking over your shoulder every moment going, no, 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 do it that way. No, no, no. He, he's given it to us. He's left. The accountability doesn't come until we see him. We can manage it wisely. Or unwisely. Number three, there is a day of accountability coming. Rebuke or reward. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'd like to hear well done as opposed to what did you do, lazy servant. Did you pick that up? Ooh. Now, again, this isn't about whether you get into heaven. I, I want to be so clear about that. Heaven is based upon one thing, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Coming to him by faith because he's the one that died for you. That, and when you come to faith in Christ, you become a child of God. You become one of his servants. He gives you stuff. That's what gets us into heaven. But for those of us who know him, we're going to give an account. Were we honorable? Did we do what he wanted us to do? Did we manage it wisely? And here's the thing. You say, wisely. How do we know wisely? Well, God has given us some clear principles in his word. There, do you know the Bible? Jesus himself spoke more about money than about anything else. Why? Because there's a tie between money and our heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. This is a big thing for us. A couple years ago, I was reading through the book of Proverbs, and, you know, usually I'm doing it, you know, on my version app, and I'll highlight something in yellow. But when I started going through Proverbs, I used to, everything that I could find about money, I highlighted in blue. You know there's a lot of blue in Proverbs. And there's so many things we could talk about, but if I could give you probably the basic five principles, here they are. Here's the very practical piece. Five practical ways to handle your money as a good steward. Number one, 
We are to handle our money wisely, which means have a plan, set a budget. Proverbs 21.5 says the plans of the diligent lead to an advantage. Now, what does it mean to be diligent? It means to be what? Engaged, intentional, on top of. The plans of a diligent lead surely to advantage, but everyone who is hasty comes surely to poverty. Have a plan, a budget is just crucial. And I'll never forget, somebody took me through an exercise years ago, and it was like one of those eye-popping moments for me. So I'm going to take you through this exercise, see if we can get your eyes popped here for a moment. I want you to, this is just you, in your head, some quick math. How much of God's resource has come through your hands in the last 10 years? How much money has God entrusted you with as part of your stewardship? Quick math. Take your salary, times it by 10. Quarter million dollars? Most likely. Half a million dollars? Million dollars? Million and a half? You know, be honest with you, before long, we'll get in some real money here, right? So, let me ask you. Are you proud of what you did with that amount of money? Do you even know what you did with that money? Are you looking forward to standing before Jesus and say, hey, you gave me that much money to manage and this is how I did it? You see, the way you manage it well is you're diligent. The way you're diligent is you get a plan. And you get a plan at the beginning of every month, and you spend that money on paper. And this is where FPU is so good. I don't have time to go into all the details, but, but that's why you want to take FPU. It'll help you do this. But the biggest thing is you want to deal with the most important things, which, number one, is food, shelter, transportation, some basic clothing, Costco underwear. There you go. Basic clothing, right? Get the four walls of your house. You want to build a plan. And if you can get those things, you can do life. But make a plan, right? And the plan is tied to what is our shared vision? What do we want to see in our life? What do we want to accomplish? What do we want to do when we get retired, right? What do we want to do? The plans that are diligently Number two is this. Number one is get a budget. Number two, you need to get out and stay out of debt. Debt is a robber. The rich rules over the poor. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. We have crushing debt. And what do you tell us? In America right now, what? One and a half trillion dollars of student loan debt. Some of you I know are swamped in that. My heart breaks for you. But so often what we're doing is we're, we're living for tomorrow. We, we live with this idea, our question, can we afford it, is not do I have money to pay for it, but can I make the payment? And in a perfect world, maybe we can make that payment. 
But I don't know about you, but I don't live in a perfect world. In fact, in my world, we had a pandemic that kind of screwed everything up. Get out of debt. Pay. And here's the thing, folk. When, when, you're, when you're playing with debt, you're paying for what you've already done. You're, you know, you're, you're paying this month for that steak you ate eight months ago with interest. Got to get out of debt. And that's what's... Why? Because when you get out of debt, now you have something that's called Money. Money to go toward the shared vision. When you're paying debt, you're, you're going backwards. Got to get out of debt. Ah, I got to hurry here. All right. Number three, we need to work hard, right? Uh, boy, this I, I could spend a lot of time on here. God made us to work. Work is important. And I know that physically, sometimes we can't do the work we used to do, but finding something, that is what we were made. It will prolong your life, but it's important. Paul puts it like this in 1 Timothy, if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. We have got to work. We have got to find out a way how to bring in income uh, to provide for our family. But here's the thing. And I want to be really clear, because sometimes people see this and they see amassing wealth, right? When I could become the millionaire, I could get this much, my, you know, 401k or whatever, and, and then I'll be there. But, but Scripture tells us, no, 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 don't ever put your trust in money. Don't ever put, don't ever put it in the size of your 401k. I mean, does anybody remember 2008? What was it, three days and it was half, something like that? Or my house, houses burn down. They get old. Cars get in accidents. Don't put your confidence in your stuff. Put your confidence in the Lord. You're managing his stuff. And with that, you have confidence. He who trusts in riches will, what's the word there? Fall. But the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. I love this verse out of Hebrews. It's one of my favorites. Keep your lives free from the love of money. So this isn't about getting rich. No, this is about being a good steward and having a shared vision so there's unity in my, my relationship. Be content with what you have, how, and why. Because God has said. I love that. And what God has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Man, we got him. That's where your confidence has got to be. Number five is that we are to give generously. Generously. It's, it's all over the Bible. It's all over the, the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 3, 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth and from the first of all your produce. We are to give. We are to give generously. You know why? Remember we talked about how this is more important that you work on yourself than even working on your marriage. Why? Because you can't affect the other person. But you can become more like Christ. If you're more like Christ, you're going to be a better spouse. That's going to help your marriage. Well, ultimately, we're all to become like Christ. You can't become like Jesus and be stingy. You just can't. He was generous. For God so loved the world, he gave. 
right? He's entrusted us to this. And so if I'm going to become like Christ, I have got to be generous. He who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. Folks, here's the problem. Many of us have a generous heart, but we can't be generous. You know why? Because we don't have margin to be generous. Dave Ramsey puts it like this. Broke people can't help broke people. Some truth to that. When uh, you and I, with that shared dream of one day of being able to be really generous, we can then be the hands and feet of Jesus when he tugs upon our heart. We see that single mom who maybe needs diapers. And we just buy a six-month supply of diapers and just blast, just be the hands and feet of Jesus. So, years ago, years ago here at Desert Springs, of course, we were in Glendale. Uh, we had a the church, and I've told you about how many times the mortgage on the church nearly killed us, and part of that was we owned two houses, and we owed $120,000 on them, and it was just, um, you know, again, we were just nearly being crushed year after year by this debt, and I, I got a call from a guy one day, honestly, I'd never met him before, he asked me to come over to his office. I never saw him again after that day. But I walked in and he just began to share, you know, kind of his journey and things that God taught him by the importance of handling his money well and getting out of debt and being able to save. He didn't own the company, he just worked there. But he and his wife had heard the story of Desert Springs and, uh, I think he had talked to my dad, so kind of knew about these houses, and he pulled out his checkbook, not the company checkbook, but his personal checkbook with his and his wife's name on it and their home address. And he sat down and he wrote out a check for $122,000 to pay off those houses. It's one of the most significant pieces of our church life you know honestly there's only three things you can do with money you can spend it you can save it you can give it and maybe because you know and get older and some of you getting older and you begin to see this too I, I would argue with you the funnest thing you can do with money is give it bless somebody be the hands and feet of Jesus. But the only way you can do that, you've got the shared vision, you're working your plan, you're getting out of debt, you've got a budget, you've got extra. And now God tugs on your heart and goes, oh yeah. So for Tammy and I, it was, um, it was fun to roll into the impact project. Kids were out of college. We had just been able to finish paying off the house. And we were able to say, you know what? We can do a gift that we could have never done before for this building project. Thankfully, it was over three years. But folk, 
It is so important. So important. Because money, it'll destroy the relationship or it'll be the thing that'll unify if you get, you get the shared vision. So here's the assignment for this week. We just started 2022. We just went through that exercise of all the money that went through our hands in the last 10 years. So what do you believe God wants you to do differently in 2022 to be a good steward? If you haven't had the, the discussion with your spouse about the future, you talk. Lean into that. But let's honor the Lord. I tell you, it, it'll make a huge difference in your relationship. And if you're single, I tell you, the way it sets you up to succeed 